Love the commas. Love the apostrophes. Love the colons and the question marks. Love the words from East Leeds FM. No, no, Lita. No, no, Lita. And uh, welcome to ELFM listeners. And this is Helen Burke and Phil Pattinson with a show on Jimi Hendrix called All Along the Watchtower. Uh, probably one of our favourite tracks. And you just heard Jimmy playing Star Spangled Banner, which was the amazing, amazing thing that he played at Woodstock. Um, the famous setting fire of the guitar. Yeah. Um, incredible, wasn't it? It was. I think that's probably the, maybe the pinnacle of his career, people remember, I think, a lot about about him. It, I think, it's that, certainly the, the thing uh, that was, yeah, playing that track and and, the, and as you say, the burning of the guitar. Which was he wanted to do something different, and let's face it, I think he achieved it. Yeah, I think he was a bit different, <laughs> wasn't he? He was, he was in many ways. Different things, I think. Yep. Yes, he certainly was. Yep. And uh, Hendrix, just uh, a remarkable, remarkable person to say that his career was only really uh, functioning over. A four-year period yeah. is, is quite yeah. remarkable. Yeah, yeah, it is really that uh, it can be remembered for for four years. So many really. things. I suppose maybe like a lot of other rock musicians as well who didn't uh, yeah. last the course, but last left the course, a, yeah. a, a legacy. Yeah, he's really. like, and we'll be looking at the legacy uh, uh, somewhat later on in the yeah. in the program. And um, I think you're going to tell us a little bit about Hendrix's early days because he was born in Seattle, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Seattle, Washington. Um, he was born Johnny Allen Hendrix, but uh, later became known as James Marshall Hendrix in honour of his brother, uh, which was he was born on the 27th of uh, November, 1942. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame arguably called him the greatest instrumentalist in the history of rock. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah so that's, a that's quite, quite an accolade. Yeah. He, he started playing the guitar when he was 15. Yeah. But at school, he carried he, um, he carried a broom. Yeah, he apparently carried a broom round with him all the time, as if he was playing the the guitar. <laughs> so I think from early days, I think we knew what he wanted to do. An obsession, really. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was an obsession. He's, um, hmm. I think, this one of the school social workers um, saw this and um, wanted to get some funding actually from the school to get him a guitar. And didn't he, he didn't manage it? No, mm. because he, mm. he he thought that it would help him. He, he called it a security blanket. Yeah, having this broom with him. Incredible. And I think it was he was thinking if he doesn't get something soon, he's going to end up. He'll flip. He'll flip. Flip so out. Yeah. He tried to get into that, but he didn't. And his dad didn't even buy him. No, his dad wasn't particularly um, sort of didn't sort a guitar out for no, him at that stage. To buy him one, I think. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, Terrible, really. Yeah, but I mean the first. So the instrument he, he got was um, when he was working, I think, with his father and um, clearing out an old house and he found a ukulele. Yeah. yeah. Which only with, had one string. With one string. <laughs> <laughs> so he learned to play on a ukulele, same yes, as John but, Lennon. Whether he, yes, John whether Lennon, he just yeah. had one string all the time, but I don't know how you can play with one string. Anyway. He must have <laughs> no. put some more on it, I think. Yeah. 
but he, he he started with that and listening to Elvis Presley songs. That's right. And yeah. trying to learn them by ear. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of playing it with his fingers. Yeah. <laughs> Which, <laughs> ha, more ha, later. Ha, ha. Very funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it was 1958. Yeah. He actually bought his first guitar, acoustic guitar, mm. for five dollars. Five dollars, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And he was listening to the likes of Muddy Waters and BB King. A lot of blues people. A lot of yeah. blues. A lot of blues. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which you can hear inherent in the music oh, yeah. later on. It just yeah. really seeps through like wildfire. Yeah, that that yeah. was his, his music that he liked, wasn't it? His history. That's, yeah, history, his of, history that. of that. Yeah. And um, mm. because the first song, first song he ever learned to play was was Peter Gunn. You know the theme from Peter Gunn. Yes. Uh huh. Um, which I think we're going to play play in in a while, aren't we? Yes, it's yeah, not we, by him, but it's by. It's uh, not by him, but it was the first one he played. He yeah, went to Eddie, which he learned to play. Yeah, mm. yeah, and I think you're going to. Read uh, yeah, a music related poem for you, everyone. Um, it's called "Listening to Luxembourg," and uh, I probably will have will have heard uh, Hendrix on that sort of era, all the Hendrix songs at that time, because it was what you did as a kid um, in the fifties, sixties. Uh, you listen to Luxembourg on your little radio, and this is a poem about that. Someone bought me this silver radio right, and that's when it started. I went undercover, started listening to Luxembourg. I was a pirate, listening to a foreign station. I was going to change the world. I was like a new pin, because under the covers I was listening to Luxembourg. I'm the kid, listening to the kid. And now there's men on the moon, and someone shot JFK. And Mum says she can't believe it, and Dad said it's the apocalypse, and that rock and roll will be dead real soon. And under the covers, I'm listening to me little silver machine, going to change the world. And I can hear the waves crashing out on the seas. I can feel a storm coming inside my head and my heart. It's tearing me apart, but the only thing that keeps me going, the only thing that makes sense is listening to Luxembourg. I want to go to San Francisco where Mama Cass and Joni are. But I don't get far because they pick me up in Leeds, bring me back home, ask me why I did it. I say I'm a daydream believer, but they take away me records. But no one finds me radio, me lucky, lucky star. The only thing that keeps me crazy, the only thing that keeps me well, listening to Luxembourg. 208, 208, these are the only words that keep me alive. I've got Saturday night fever. I'm a close encounter of the teenage kind. I'm sneaking out to meet Martin and drinking cheap cider. Dad says he can't believe it. Mum says rock and roll's the apocalypse and have a pack me vest. And under the covers I listen to Paul Burnett and Stuart Henry and the rest. And they're all playing what I want to hear, and music is the best. Now someone shot Martin Luther, and there's a place called Vietnam. And none of this makes sense, so I turn the dial up high, even though the words are muffled, even though I am not there. I think after the apocalypse, rock and roll will go on. All it needs is a few of us. For Christ's sake, don't switch off. All it needs is you and me, kid, listening to Luxembourg. Oh, that's great, <laughs> listening to Luxembourg, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'll well, have been on that a few times, Jimi Hendrix, no doubt. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, about, about the time, you know, when he first learned to play that, uh, his first song, you know, yes. the Gun theme, he, uh, he started jamming with a, a, a boyhood friend of his called Sammy Drain. Right. Sammy Drain's a great name, isn't it? Sammy Drain. It's fabulous. And, uh, <laughs> Wonderful. And his brother, who played the guitars, mm. played the, sorry, played the uh, the drums, I think. Played the drums, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they started. Um, uh, help it, jamming with somebody called Hank, Hank Ballard and the Moonlighters, mm -hmm. also playing backing for him, I think. So he started off really as a backing musician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of the backing. Yeah, I think he moved around a lot. Yeah, that's where he met um, Little uh, Richard. Somebody called you know Billy that? Davis. Oh, Billy Davis. That's right. Yes. Who showed him a lot of tricks with the guitar to do with the guitar. Yeah. He learnt a lot of things from from this Billy Davis. Um. Do you mean like playing with his teeth and the things well, like that? yes, I think, yes. Yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, um, he was playing with um, the band called the Velvetones. The Velvetones. The Velvetones, yeah. Uh, he, well, he, he formed it, really. He formed this band called the Velvetones. Mm. But he was, so he was playing guitar, mm. um, acoustic guitar, but he found out that he couldn't be heard over the rest of the band. Slightly annoying. Yeah, mm. so that's when his his dad actually bought bought him his first electric electric guitar, electric guitar yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, which was a Supra Ozark apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Like you do. <laughs> so I could probably, it could be heard then, I think, you know, with yeah. the electric one. Because he's always wanted to be up front and seen and heard, didn't oh, yeah. he? Oh, yeah. Which is what I like about him. Yeah. And I know it annoys some people, but I like that about him. Yeah, mm. yeah. It was sort of quietly, what sort of quietly loud. Yeah, yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one Very of his much. first gigs, I think, um, with, with his guitar, he got fired in between sets <laughs> for showing off. <laughs> Yeah, well, he was a show-off, yeah. Yeah. But always very quiet and restrained in interviews. Strange. I think he kept himself under wraps a bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, are we going to hear... Um, I think we're, we're going to hear that Peter Gunn. I'd like yeah, to hear I mean, that, actually. It's not uh, by actually. Hendrix, but it's by... Um, Dwayne Eddy. Eddie. Dwayne Eddy, yeah. the first tune that he ever learnt to play. Mm. Okie dokie. Okay. Let's go for it. <laughs> Yeah, and that was the uh, amazing uh, track by Dwayne Eddy, which um, was the first thing that Hendrix played, as we were telling you about. And uh, I think Phil, you're going to tell us a little bit further on about how he um, how he finally got a guitar from his dad. Another guitar, yeah. Another guitar. He got, um, I say, he got fired from the, his first band, the Velvet Tones, um, and then he joined oh. um, a, a group called the Rocking Kings, mm-hmm. which played at the Birdland Club. Which was very famous, Very yeah. famous, apparently, the Birdland Club. But unfortunately, he, uh, the, his first guitar, he left it backstage and somebody stole it. Mm-hmm. Sounds familiar. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah. So I think his dad then actually bought him another gu- uh, guitar, which was called a Silvertone Dan Electro. You could write a poem about these names. You could have a great name, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice name, yeah. So he started playing with that. But back, mm-hmm. I mean, round about this time, I think he was slightly going off the rails a bit because he was caught... Drive riding in stolen cars a couple of times. You know, right. so I think he was just getting a bit the, wild. Getting a bit wild, I think, mm. really. So he, had, he was given a choice of either <laughs> going to prison or joining the army. Well, obviously prison. Which prison? <laughs> we probably wished he had afterwards. Mm. So he joined. Uh, he was, yeah. So he joined the army, and he was assigned to the 101st Airborne Division, Division, which was stationed Doing, um... at Fort Campbell in Kentucky. And so that that's where he got his extraordinary training yeah, of yeah. paratroopers. Yeah, this was paratroopers. Yeah, mm. yeah. But I don't think you liked it. Cause he, <laughs> Did he not? He didn't like it. No, not really, because he had to work very hard. He says nothing but physical training and harassment here for two weeks. 
And when you go to jump school, you get hell. <laughs> so I did Sounds like working, writing poetry. He, it's writing Sounds poetry. like writing poetry, yeah. You jump out of a plane, you yeah. don't know what you're going to find. So I think he was, he was getting a bit bored without um, his music, I think. So he, he sent, he, he wrote to his father and asked mm. him to send him the guitar that he bought him because it was at his girlfriend's house. He left it at his girlfriend's yeah. house. Yeah, yeah. Um, which his father, Julie, did. Mm-hmm. Sent him the guitar. Yeah. Um, and he became obsessed, I think, with playing it. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. and anywhere. Yeah, again, yeah. this was not the, the broom, he had an actual guitar. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm relieved to hear it. And um, mm-hmm. a fellow serviceman, I think, called Billy Cox, was walking past the club one day or something and heard mm. Hendrix playing. Uh, and he was quite intrigued by it. And he, what he, he, he said he described his music as a combination of John Lee Hooker and Beethoven, which was an interesting... That's extraordinary, yeah, because I know a lot of John Lee Hooker's I don't, work. Really. Yeah, well, I do, yeah. Yeah, we've we kind of seen a lot of John Lee so Hooker. How was Beethoven coming to that? I don't know. I have no idea why <laughs> would why he would compare to Beethoven. I suppose because of the the thoughtfulness and the power and the diversity. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine John Lee Hooker's very soulful and and kind of deep down and deep bellied. He's he's a kind of bedrock yeah. of blues. John Lee Hooker. Blues, yeah. yeah, deep. Oh God, yeah. So yeah, this Billy Cox he borrowed the, um, a bass guitar. So that, then the two of them started jamming, doing. Um, Concert little gigs or something in some of the, I suppose the service men's clubs or yeah. around about where they were, where they, where were, they based. were based. Yeah, but I mean, he was getting less and less interested in being a paratrooper. I think. <laughs> that was just his day job. Yeah, he, he yeah completed his paratrooper training in just over eight months, mm-hmm. but there was no interest in it. No. and eventually he was given a honourable discharge. Right. Well, that's something. From there, yeah. because what that's one of his things is. Instructor said he had no interest in the army at all. <laughs> so, so he was he was given. A I mean, I think different. a lot of people uh, have a different impression of the army, uh, but once they join, it becomes quite radically different. You know, I mean, I've I've met a lot of people when I used to um, used to work who were coming out of the army who were very disillusioned. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, terribly. So, so he mm. left there. I think about nineteen sixty-two or sixty-three, mm. and uh, his friend Billy Cox was also discharged as well. Can I tell you my funny army story? You can. <laughs> Go on. As, as listeners may recall, I have previously worked in a former lifetime and, and a job centre. And uh, I was in charge of uh, dealing, doing all the interviews for the ex-army personnel. And on one famous occasion, I was up at Fulford Barracks and, and we were finishing off with a major, I can't remember his surname, but I know he's a Welsh chap and he was so funny. And uh, he was due to take us home. And uh, at the last part of the interview with everyone, all these people ran in. And uh, we're, we're on, like, as if they were on manoeuvres. I, I thought he was going to physically kill them because they'd run into the wrong room. So there were seven people <laughs> running as though they were on physical manoeuvres, kind of swung into the room. So he got rid of them. And he was quite a mild-mannered person normally. And as we left, uh, he admitted, he said, uh, I don't know how we're going to get home because I have no idea where I parked the vehicle. <laughs> and this, this was a major in charge of goodness knows what. Anyway, military that's intelligence? This was, yeah, contradicting terms, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my anyway, that's, story. <laughs> Sorry. By the mind. Digress. Sorry. Yeah. 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 So he and um, this Billy Cox moved to uh, Clarksville in Tennessee. Tennessee. And uh, formed a, a band called the King Casuals. That's a nice name. Hmm. Uh, where he, he, Hendrix watched somebody called Butch Snipes play, <laughs> playing the guitar with his teeth. Ah. Ah. Uh huh. So, not to be upstaged, um, hmm. Hmm. Hendrix learned to play. The guitar with his teeth. Yeah. Because he That's said, where it began. He, he says in Tennessee, where they were playing, he says, down there, you have to play with your teeth or else you get shot. <laughs> <laughs> Which... Oh, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Um, I think we I think we thought we'd throw a quick poem in at you guys from here. From yourself, yes. From myself, from myself, I'm afraid. And uh, then we're going to move up to All Along the Watchtower track. But before then, a little, uh, little daft poem written recently about bad lads. And I suppose I was thinking about uh, the Hendrix types, although I don't think he was bad. Um, I think he had a heck of a lot of girlfriends and drank drank rather a lot, but there you go. There I think you he go. was quite charismatic. I think he was tremendously charismatic, yeah. You can get away with so much in life if you're charismatic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying. <laughs> you, you're, you succeeded a long time ago. Um, OK, this poem's called Bad Lads. Women always prefer them, the bad lads. Michael, with his winning smile, his charisma... His wink, his line in chat. He's been in clink so many times and yet we spoke up for him. Always, 
Always. His brother Robert the same, taller, no one messed with him. A cool cookie, leather jacket, took life in his stride. Other people's lives. Sat next to them in school, I was proud to. But the solemn-eyed lad who does his homework and goes to mass, him we avoid, we want none of him. He's the marrying kind, the come-home early kind, the easy to second-guess. You know what he's thinking and he thinks more about the weather than sex. He's called Hubert or Ronald. You have been drunk more than he has, but the bad lads who never ring or call. You welcome their heartache as if it's a right. As lovers they are swine, but you think it's your fault. They know how to rob daylight itself. They drink whiskey, they never cry. You lie at their feet as if you are charmed. You bleed for them time and time again. The women who love the bad lads see them standing at bus stops, weeping. Yes. <laughs> I'm afraid it's true, yeah. Yeah, I think it is Wouldn't true. It? Yeah. Yeah. You missed a nice guy. Aye. Women will avoid you. <laughs> no, they soon realise. Yeah, yeah. yeah the they... bad lads can be no good. <laughs> <laughs> Takes them about 30 years yeah, yes, and it dawns on them. Yeah. yeah. So mm. I think we're going to go to a track now, which is... Um, one of our favourites. Mm, love it. Which is All Along the Watchtower. Ooh, go for it. There must be some kind of way out of here. Say the joker to the thief. There's too much confusion I can't get no relief Businessman there Who drink my wine Plowman dig my earth None will level on the mine Nobody of it is worth
Okay, so um, probably Phil and I's favourite track all along the Watchtower with Hendrix. And he's always so alive, so vibrant, and there's so much, so much wildness and ambience comes comes from him. And that's 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 the cross often of a creative personality. And uh, Phil, I think you're going to tell us about um, his next stage of his career, which was being part of a sort of a circuit. Of yeah, yeah. I mean, he played with his own band, but then he he was on this um, uh, thing called the Chitlin Circuit, mm-hmm. um, which you know, played a lot of venues and that with his own band. But then also backed um, people like Wilson Pickett and Sam Cook, Ike and Tina Turner, and, mm. and Jackie Wilson. So he was, he was backing for those, these sort of people. Mm. You know. So obviously getting to know, getting big league, getting big league. Yeah, in a way, in yeah. a way, yeah. Getting connections, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but he got in 1964. He got fed up with this. I think <laughs> fed up with the circuit, doing the same things. Bit of a grind, I think. And, yeah. Uh, he went solo, but he moved to. Um, to somewhere called the Hotel Teresa, where he met um, somebody called Lithophrane Pridgin. Well, yeah, there's a an great name, isn't it? Yeah, which, which was called Faye. Um, so she became his girlfriend, and she was very, very supportive uh, of his music and mm-hmm. had a lot of connections oh. around, you know, in that area. So she helped him a lot, I think, you know. Um, Who did she connect him up with then? I don't know. Right, okay. <laughs> But obviously she was in a lot of connections with various bands and musicians yeah. and things. Um, this wasn't Little Richard and the Isley Brothers and all that lot. Well, eventually, no. yes, yeah. I oh. mean, he, he he took part in a, a contest at the, at the Apollo thing, which was a big amateur contest, and he won first prize in that in 1964. Um, so that helped him, I think, to get noticed a bit, you know, and he started yeah. playing the Harlem Club circuit with various bands, uh-huh. where um, Ronnie Isley... Of the Isley Brothers, yeah. Of the Isley Brothers, gave him an audition. Uh, so he became part of uh, the Isley Brothers in the backup band. Amazing. And t- toured with them, you know, toured with the yeah. Isley yeah. Brothers. So he's getting to very familiar with yeah. the circuit. but he was yeah. very easily bored, I think, you know, yeah, he once he joined these bands. High threshold of board, yeah. Yeah, I think the high threshold of board. He wanted mm. to do his own stuff, I think, as yeah. before, because he got band, you know, sacked from various bands for showing up. So I think... Yeah. He was always a, he, there. Yeah, he was a bit of a show-off, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, so he got eventually got bored with the Isley Brothers um, and joined <laughs> Little Richard's touring band, The Upsetters. Yeah. Where Amazing. Um, Little Richard recorded a single. He recorded a single with Little Richard. Wow. And about this time, he made his first TV appearance as well with um, Little Richard's band. Mm-hmm. But then again, he was he was fired over his stage antics by Little Richard's brother. So it's antics, isn't it? It's antics that have kind of, yeah. It's kind of an yeah. individual. Yeah. Individuals are often um, discriminated which, against. Which was, yeah. you know, it's Yeah, yeah. I mean, then again, he, he left them and he rejoined the Isley Brothers, which which he'd left before. So yeah. he, was, he moved yeah. around a lot. And this is very musicianish, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Musicians get a bit like that, yeah. And in 1966, he moved to Greenwich Village. Wow. Wish I had. <laughs> which, <you know. laughs> I wish we had. Where he played um, Café Wah, mm-hmm. which I think was a very famous place. I've heard of it, yeah. Um, and he formed his own band called Jimmy James and the Blue Flames. I have heard, of, it. I've heard I of that. I think he developed this um, sound, his guitar sound. That's when that finally came into being. Yeah, for the, yeah. You know, the mm. Jimmy Hendrix experience. I think that's where he developed his, the sound yeah. that he got. Yeah, which I'm not even going to try and describe. I just... You just resonate with it, don't you? Yeah. You do. And again, he, he played. He, he started doing clubs there, mm. but then again, he left that and joined somebody called Curtis Knight and the Squires. And yeah. Played at the Cheetah Club, mm-hmm. where he was he was playing, and he was noticed by Linda Keith, who was R- ha, Keith ha, ha. Richards' girlfriend. Yeah, uh, very influential for him. This was to be. Yeah, yeah, they became very good friends, mm-hmm. and that was the sort of the start of him. Heading for London, heading, really. Heading for London, I think, really. Heading which for I London. I think you've got mm. um, a poem here. I have, I have. It's, um, it's, ooh, it must be ten years back, this poem, isn't it? But we used to do this a lot in performance, uh, and it's called London Calling. Yeah? Go for it, yeah. I used to live on the dark side of the moon. I used to own an albatross who had a hole in his shoe that was letting in water. He liked to eat brown sugar, and I rolled some tumbling dice. In his eye was an unforgettable fire. He said... We can live on solid air. But I said I can hear London calling. 
I want to walk where the streets have no name, hearts of glass are put to shame. So we became a couple of heroes just for the day. And the hole in my shoe was still letting in water, letting in water. And the albatross began to shine in a very strange way. And now, now myself, I was like some kind of crazy diamond. He said, I know what I like in your wardrobe. It's three o'clock and time for tea. I said, may you never make your bed out in the cold. May you always have a hand to hold. But out on the high seas, we could see there had been a real communication breakdown and the stairway to heaven being walled up. And the seabirds sang, love, love will tear us apart. And the hole in my shoe, it is flooding in water, pouring in water. So we set the controls for the heart of the sun again and we set out to find the Eggman and the walrus, Goo 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 And the seabirds said hello and waved goodbye and I turned into a whiter shade of pale. But I didn't want to paint it black, not me. So somehow we had to make our way to shore. The little lights of London still calling. Nothing compares to you. And it seems we're going back to the things that I remember in my youth. Because I'm wishing and hoping I don't know what to do with myself. And now both of my shoes are letting in water. And we're two riders of the storm with a saucer full of secrets. We can come to no harm. We're still alive and kicking. And you promised me a miracle. And yes, it's a bright, bright, bright sunshiny day. Say hello to the yellow brick road even if you're under pressure. Even if you're close to the edge and you've lost your heart to a starship trooper. It's a kind of magic to make it to the shore in one piece when you're hungry like the wolf and you've got that goddamn hole in your shoe that keeps letting in water. Letting in water. This is the end. There's a lot of song titles in there. <laughs> yeah, spot. I should have said to Ella Feminist, spot the song titles. Song yeah. Titles, yeah, yeah. We put that on the um, on on the blog thing. Yeah. yeah. So but, um, um, Hendrix mm. had met Linda Keith, um, uh-huh. you know, at this time now, and um, she recommended um, Hendrix to um, the Rolling Stones manager. Wow. Andrew Logue Oldham, and the producer Seymour Stein. Um, so they came to see Hendrix, but um, failed to see any musical potential in him. Incredible. Apparently. Really? Good luck. So I just rejected him. Wow. Like that. Unbelievable. I they were wishing they didn't, they hadn't. I bet, I bet they wished they hadn't in years to come. So um, after that, um, she, she, again, Linda Keith preferred him to Chas Chandler, who was uh, part of the animals, which was yeah. he was leaving at that time. Oh, right. So that did that go anywhere? Yeah, he liked what he saw. Great. Yeah, I like what he saw. Because, um, of course, we should mention he's a very flamboyant dresser as well, Hendrix, which everybody everybody knows, obviously, now. Yeah. yeah. So he took he took Hendrix on from there. Right. Um, and I think that's where he... Because he, he liked a song, this chanson, he liked a song called Hey Joel by Billy Roberts, apparently. Gorgeous song. Um, and I think he wanted Hendrix to, to, record, to record this, I think. Yeah. I think we're going to go into... um, I think we're going to go, hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. Mess around with another man. <laughs> I 
Okay, so that was Hey Joe by Jimi Hendrix, and uh, Hendrix recorded a version, I believe, of Hey Joe, which uh, Chas Chandler liked, and um, this was the reason that Hendrix got signed up, but I think Phil's going to tell us a little bit more about the uh, the heady days that he ended up heading for London. He did, yeah, because yeah. Chas Chandler, as you say, uh, signed him up. I thought, yeah, this guy's going to be good, I think, so <laughs> um, he, he arrived in London, um, and immediately Chandler began um, recruiting members f- for the band. For a band for him, yeah. yeah. for the band, which was going to call, be called The Experience, um, yeah. which included Noel Redding and drummer Mitch Mitchell. Um, okay. And at this point as well, because I think he was quite a go-ahead guy, this uh, Chas Chandler, mm. he decided to, he wanted Jimmy to change his name from Jimmy, spelled J-I-M-M-Y, to J-I-M-I. Oh, right, so that's that's how his name yeah, is spelled. Yeah, to be more like exotic. Exotic, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose well, there's all these little yeah. things, isn't there, you know, to try and get yourself noticed more. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think in, it says October 66 performed at the London Poly, Polytechnic, which were oh. cream, were headlining. Wow. And uh, he's not backward in coming forward. Ask uh, Clapton if he could play a couple of numbers, which I think he With did. Him. Really? <laughs> it went well. on too long, as usual, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> had to drag him off stage, I think. yeah. Yeah, and was he seen by people at that? Yeah. Oh yeah, he was getting more and more known. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 experience's first gig was in in France. Oh. Um, apparently, supporting Johnny Halliday. Don't know him. Yeah. And mm. just uh, not long after that, they recorded their first song, which was "Hey Joe." Oh, so "Hey Joe" was was the first experience one. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah, and you know he's playing more and more gigs, getting getting better known. Played the um, uh, pub called the Bag of Nails, which is a I think I've heard of that. Yeah, in London, but, yes, it? Yeah. yeah, I think I've probably been in it. You've probably been there. Yeah, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a great name, isn't it? I love the Bag of Nails. Yeah, Bag of Nails, super. Um, and Gorgeous. people like um, Clapton and John Lennon, McCartney, Pete Townsend, and Jagger were all in attendance, mm. and were just blown away by him. I thought they couldn't they couldn't believe what the it must have been an amazing time to be around on oh, the music God. scene. Can you imagine? Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, yeah just playing little pubs. Yeah, and with people like them. Who, um, yeah, I suppose they were becoming. Uh, some of them were known. I suppose the Beatles were known, and yeah. the Stones were known. But yeah. um, and all these years later, Paul McCartney's just just played a little pub in Liverpool. Yeah, this is yeah, very last yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, very low key event. Very low key. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with social media. Yeah, well, he's got a new, um, a new LP up. Yeah. Social media in them, them days when Hendrix was playing and stuff. You, you, you can't I'd really it. rather not. No, I'd rather not. It no. would have ruined it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Hey Joe was released in December 66. Hmm. Uh, and then, the, you know, the hit experience started um, appearing on TV on things like Ready, Steady, Go. Oh, I remember that. Well, you remember that, won't yeah. you? Yeah. And, top of, and top, <laughs> top of the Pops. And Top of the Pops, yeah. So, Played mainly to annoy me dad, really. Top of the uh, yes. yeah. <laughs> Turn that down. <laughs> Ooh, that worse rubbish? than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and he had further success with singles with um, um, Purple Haze, which reached number three. Brilliant. And, and, in, yeah, and Brilliant. in May, Wind Cries Mary, which got to number six. Mm. More unusual, that one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Purple Haze is, yeah, very accessible as a, as a record. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're going to. Yeah, are you going to read a poem now? Um, I, I, I because I mean, this that. was about yeah. the time, obviously, the time getting onto the Vietnam War. Yes. And all yes, this, all around that the time. The demonstrations yeah. and stuff yeah. So yeah. that was happening. Yeah. Yeah, because um, I was obviously away at college at that time, and um, at uh, Newcastle uh, Polytechnic. Um, well, supposedly studying English, uh, but mainly studying the bar <laughs> at that time. You mean um, law? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I, I must. Uh, I must uh, study law. Yeah, I wish. I wish. Um, anyway, this was a peace march because we marched. We marched for everything at that time, and it was crazy. Peace march. I remember the peace march when I was a student. Time of Vietnam and all that jazz. We had to come home on a different bus. The driver having punched somebody in the crowd, and the brother he joined in then, and they all ended up in clink. So much for a day away from lectures. I thought. Next time, I went on the Angry Persons March. Lots of aggressive sentiments on our banners. And now, now, the crowd are sympathetic. Mothers brought us sandwiches and lemonade. It just goes to show, stay angry if you want to stay out and nick. I had such a lovely day, knowing peace was the last thing on our minds. Such a lovely day. 
<laughs> that sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. You went to the peach marches. All hell broke. There was always more violence on a peace march. Oh, good Lord, yeah, yeah. It's very, very angry yeah, people yeah. who support, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't really explain that, but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think we're going to play Purple Haze now, aren't we? We are. We're going to go for a little break and play Purple Haze. Yeah. Which I like Purple Haze. It's a brilliant song, that, yeah. Yeah, but uh, that just reminds me about the peace, the peace marches and the angry marches and that. just reminds me that there's a, there's a huge difference in things, isn't there? Because we were talking to a... Um, uh, Father Bill Surplus a few days ago and he was telling us that uh, he could always tell when hope had been abandoned at a funeral because pre- people cried more. Mm. And, and somehow that peace and the angry march, it just reminds me of that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah it kind of People will appear to be differently if they really abandon hope and faith, he said. They cry a lot more and talk a load of rubbish. So um, th- th- there's a thought for you listeners. <laughs> we'll leave you with that. Thought. We'll leave you with that one. And, and we'll play. Let's put the more sensible purple haze. Yeah. So that was Purple Haze, uh, one of my all-time favourite Hendrix tracks. And, um, yeah, Hendrix, I think, is well-remembered for um, just being different, being different in his performance styles and, of course, um, setting setting a guitar on fire. And I think, Phil, you're going to tell us a little bit about that now. Yeah, it was while I was playing the Astoria Hotel in London. <clears throat> his manager and somebody else were discussing ways of getting the band more exposure. Uh, like the whole, you know, used to smash up their instruments. Yeah. Um, so somebody said, well, "Why pity you can't set fire to, to your guitar?" <laughs> so, so somebody went, "Well, hmm. we'll get some lighter fuel." Um, and at the end of the set, he did. <laughs> he set oh fire to goodness. it. Goodness! So God. that's how it started, and um, yeah, he, he became known apparently as the uh, after that as the Black Elvis or something mm. for some reason, and the, the Wild, Wild Man of Borneo after Wild doing Man of Borneo, that. Yeah, yeah. So this kind of gave him an identity, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's what the manager yeah. obviously wanted more exposure, and I suppose yeah. that got it, didn't it? I would imagine so. 
Yeah. <laughs> like setting it, setting a, a poem on fire. Exactly. Yeah. You'd well, be remembered, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. yeah, you would. Well, there's time yet. There's time yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Phoenix from the Ashes. Yeah, yeah, which all poems are. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, about this town, they started getting together some material for um, uh, for an album. Uh-huh. Which, 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 the first one was called Are You Experienced? Yeah, which I used to have. You did have that. Mm, before which, it was um, burgled in Birmingham. Yeah. Apparently a mixture of styles involved in that. Oh. Different styles, blues and experimental stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was released in in May 67. Yeah. And spent 33 weeks in the charts, which got to number two. And it was only wow. kept off the top by Sergeant Pepper. Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> Can't be bad. Yeah, it's not bad, mm. is it? Not bad at all. Mm. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, this time he was getting known in London because he was over here, I think. Um, mm. um, but in America, he wasn't known. I mean, um, Hey Joe only failed to reach the Billboard Top 100. Mm-hmm. And it was only when he um, he was recommended by Paul McCartney, actually, to the organisers mm-hmm. of the Monterey Pop Festival. Wow, some recommendation. Yeah. yeah, so they took him on, and that's when he sort of made his name, really. Monterey, Monterey gave him a name, yeah. Yes, in America, I think, he played that and mm. became widely known, I think. You know, he played a lot of um, Dylan covers and yeah. um, Wild Thing. Um, wow. You know, and all these... Voodoo uh, Child and yeah, all, the all that. Yeah, Wind Cries Mary. Wind Cries Mary, yeah. yeah. And at the end of that, he, he did the old setting fire to the... Yeah. Guitar and throwing pieces of the car, guitar into the crowd. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that was Because really you get the famous good. pictures of that, don't yeah, you? Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. famous pictures. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really got him known, I think, in America as well after that. <laughs> um, which was. He, he started getting a lot of gigs after that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was actually the support for the Monkeys. Monkeys oh, first my favourite band. Tour. My yeah. favourite band. Love them. Yeah. David Jones and people. Yeah. Mickey Dolan's. Yeah. That's when oh, they get yeah. uh, so Daydream Believer, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I mean, there was <laughs> what, three albums altogether, wasn't there? Hmm. Um, you got Are You Experienced? Yeah. And the other one, which I'd never heard of. Was Axis Boulders of? Yeah, Axis Boulders. No, 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 I had that as well. And the last one, um, Electric Ladyland? Yeah, Electric Ladyland, yeah, it was very famous. Yeah. Very, very famous. Which reached number one in the US, did that. Yeah, wow. And that was his most commercially successful Uh release. Yeah, I would think so, yeah. Yeah, but the first Mm. and only number one album. Mm. But he was becoming one of the world's highest paid performers after Monterey and all this. Incredible. So that's why he he went on to headline the the old Woodstock Festival. Yeah, oh, wow. You see the pictures of him doing that. It's just amazing. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, to be there. Gorgeous. Yeah, did that. <laughs> and then um, played the Isle of Wight Festival. Oh, yes, famous Isle of Wight, yeah. Which I nearly went to. You nearly went, went to? I nearly went to, yeah. Yeah, I just hadn't got quite enough money to get there, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah it would have been great to see him, I think. Oh. But as ever, awkward. you know, he was cut short, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, we got all the... Yeah. With Why the... is it so many, so many times this happens to... Because I think it's an awful lot for people to, to handle. You've got your talent... But then you have to handle handle fame, and fame is a lot. Uh, it's a much broodier sort of unpleasant person to handle than creativity and talent. Creativity and talent mm. are part of you. Fame is co- something that comes into you from outside that you can't handle and that you can't mm. you can't control. Mm, people handle it in different ways by yeah, yeah. turning to yeah. uh, drink, I suppose, and drugs. You drink, know, drugs. Yeah, because he did. He did like you know drink a lot, and he yeah. he, he came across as a mild mannered sort of guy. But I think when he drank, he did become yes. quite aggressive. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the time, strange to think that, isn't it? Yeah, but that that is a case of a lot of people, isn't it? It is. Yeah, people. Yeah, drink can take you many ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Such a he, shame. Yeah, it was in nineteen seventy. He died. It was an accidental death, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah. What only... exactly happened? What, well, that... it, it was a barbiturate-related. Uh-huh. Just, I don't know, took too much, too much of it. Yeah, people just don't know what's, what's actually. It's like the Marilyn Monroe query, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What did yeah. she actually mean to take? Yeah. But that was at the age of twenty-seven. Wow! And so many musicians. We were reading around this, weren't we? Weren't we? Remember? Was it that age? It's that. It's always that age that a lot of young musicians mm. die. It's always twenty-seven. Yeah. If you yeah. look it up online, there's 27. Is it? It's an yeah, age that's that right, people hit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really weird. Yeah. Yeah, but he left. 
He left a great legacy, I think. Huge legacy, massive, yeah. Yeah. His feedback Incredible. sort of um, the style. feedback thing, yeah. Which I, what I particularly like in his music, yeah, it's a feedback thing, mm. yeah. There seems raw aggression there, I think. Yeah. Maybe that was his, that was getting it out of his system. Yeah. Yeah, kind of thing, yeah. And his clothes, obviously, you are. I am very envious when I see pictures oh, of <laughs> Hendrix with the you clothes. You always want them, don't I you? Do. You always cover them. So who's yeah. got them now? I know, yeah. Who has got Hendrix's jackets and trousers and God knows? The shirts. Yeah. Oh, please, yeah. yeah. You would look amazing in those. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, so yeah. I think yeah. we've covered quite a lot. We've covered there, quite a lot of his history, but I mean, you never get to the nucleus and the heart of the man. Obviously, you know, you would have had to have met him and and, 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 and talked to him, which would have been incredible. But, but we hope, listeners, we've given you a little bit of a taste of, of how he came into being. And um, I'm just I'm going to uh, read a little poem now called Marbles, which is written this very week, this very week, um, about marbles, really, and I wonder, I suppose it, it may not be an American thing, I don't know if Jimmy would have ever have, have sort of played with marbles or, 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 or used them or whatever. Anyway, this was me playing with marbles as a kid, uh, as an only child. In a special bag I kept the marbles, like a perfect Christmas present of glass eyes. In the bedroom, untouched, they are no one I know, I would say, when questioned. Even in a dream they swelled to the size of my future, I have not won their affection, so they are truly mine. Their tears in my hand, my own darlings, we played together. The only child must marry marbles. Glass sweethearts, I know your thoughts, and they know mine. We push down the hill, we scale the mountain of being. We get knocked down, we get up again. The king of colours splinters itself inside my soul. No marble has ever judged or juried me. No marble let me down or stopped speaking to me. The marbles came to me through the years, but their freedom I would give them now. Some stolen by the big unfriendly kids, and those I cannot help. But my own dear friends I release now. Go your own way. We have played and won. Even the mountain grows weary of being beaten. The sun breaks through, and it is my own self, and comes and comes another day. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I think Hendrix could have put some... Music to that. Oh, I'd have begged him to. Was, I'd have begged him to, yeah. yeah that was marvellous. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. Right. I think okay. we're going to finish with I think uh, finish last with track, them. which is going to be... Uh, I think we said uh, Voodoo Child. Yeah. Which is uh, just extraordinary. I just want yeah. to thank, again, yeah. um, Chapel FM and yeah. everyone for listening. Yep, yeah. all you guys listening. And we'll see yeah. you again later. And we'll hope to see you again later.
Love the haiku. Love the sonnet. Love the quatrain and the couplet. Love the words. From East Leeds FM. <laughs> <laughs>